as we're uh, traveling through the book of 1 Kings. We're dealing with Solomon. We're in chapter 10, and, and, and I've entitled this first section. Actually, I was stuck. I fell back in my chair. I awoke, and it was the first thing that popped in my head was curious or converted. That's where we start tonight. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard, is she curious or does she become converted? There seems to be controversy depending on what Bible commentator you read. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard, if she had seen anything that was not moving her, she heard. You know, we, we have to, we talked about it uh, last uh, Sunday, I was Sunday before. We have to be the witness, have to. But we also have to speak. And she heard of the fame of Solomon. And if it stopped there, it's like, okay, nothing great there. No. She heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord God Yahweh. Whenever it's capital L-O-R-D, that is like the supreme name of, of the, that the Jews would use for God. So she had heard uh, 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 of this fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord God Yahweh. The one true God, I believe, was calling her. For she heard even as he calls us. And we heard. And we responded. So she came to test him with hard questions. Now, she may think she's coming because she's curious. She may be coming with other reasons. I remember the first time I walked through the doors of Calvary Chapel, Spokane. I was not there to get saved. I was there because that was the only place I was going to be able to see my fiancé. And God does all these different things in all of our different lives. Nobody knows 100% where Sheba is. Most like the location of modern-day Yemen. Others say Ethiopia. But no one really knows. But most people go back to Yemen. Jesus says she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And certainly at that time, that's what they might have thought of. We know it's a long way. So out of, out of our two choices, not knowing either one, whether it's right, let's pick the closer one. Because Yemen is closer than Ethiopia. Yemen was 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. No big deal. Hop on a jet plane, man. You're going to get there. It's from here to probably California, maybe. But that's a 75-day ride on the back of a camel. Ever been on a camel? I have. I spent 75 seconds on a camel, and that was long <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> but this woman wanted to hear the wisdom of God, or, and I'm going to make the case for it because I believe I'm right, because the Bible says so. Or was she being drawn by the Holy Ghost? If, if you kind of just stick with me here, you know, I don't want you to believe me until we get all done. But just stick with me that God's drawing her. And watch how all of these details, you know, it's like she doesn't even recognize it. Certainly I didn't know I was being drawn to salvation. And probably many of us did not know we're being drawn to a place of salvation where we are sinners and we're going to be converted. We thought something was going on. Look at the whole hippie movement. God was calling them. The Bible says no man seeks after God. God was calling them. They didn't even know it. They thought they were just seeking all this other stuff, you know. But God was doing a work, and they were working through all these different channels of stuff, trying to figure out if this was God or if this was enlightenment. But when you step back and look at it on the other side, there's no doubt God was doing something radical in their lives. Just like Katrina, when we were the grief counselors down there for Red Cross. God was calling those people. They didn't know it. All they realized was it was a flood and that they would, had been delivered from a hellhole. 
But as they started setting down and realizing they needed to hear from God again, and they wanted Bibles, they wanted, you know, Christian books that they could read. Spiritual revival took place in their life, even though that's not what they thought in the beginning. Well, she spends 75 days on a camel. Think about this. You go from Yemen, you're traveling across the hot desert sand on the back of a camel just so she could test Solomon with some hard questions, or so she thinks. Please understand, I don't think she's coming as a skeptic or a mocker. That's not what it says here. When she had heard about the fame of the God of Solomon, she's coming as a sincere seeker being drawn by God. She wanted to check out what she had heard with some hard questions. Not to challenge, like you might meet some guy in the street. Well, you know, if God's the God of love, what about those pygmies out in Africa that have never heard the gospel? And those people do that, not because they really care, but they're just trying to give you an answer, a defense. There is an answer for that too, but that's not here. I think she has some concerns. Certainly not one that wanted her to debate or argue over stuff. And we should never do that. Peter or Paul tells us not to engage ourselves in foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for their unprofitable and useless. You will never convert a person. So it's like useless. But Sheba's not coming seeking an argument. A couple of the old commentary, commentary writers that I read, like back in the 1500s, they said she's coming with riddles to test the wisdom of God. And not a riddle like what Barry might use. <laughs> but a, a riddle as defined as, this is how they defined it, a pointed saying which merely hints at the deeper truth and leaves it to be guessed. Well, I like that. So she's being drawn looking for maybe deeper meaning of whatever it is that's stirring or whatever it is that she's heard. Looking for something deeper than what she already knew. And as we go down through this, please know there is a difference of opinion, like I said, whether or not she becomes a follower of the Lord God. And there's, it's great to have opinions. I don't know why we should when we approach the Word of God. It's okay, but we our opinion should be based upon what the Bible says. I was in a conversation with someone today that kept tech, uh, instant messaging me. It's like, dude, I can't deal with this. I'm doing my Bible study. Finally, I got all done. And, and, he, and it was, hey, what's your opinion on this? I said, first of all, you never want my opinion. What, you want what the Bible says. Because there's so many opinions in the world today. What does the Bible say? And, and it's like, you know, people may not like that, but that's okay. That's what it says. You'll never convince them otherwise because of their background, their upbringing, their nominational position. They're going to hold to that. That's fine. God bless them. But if the Bible says something contrary to that, you'll never convince them. The only person that will convince them of that is the Holy Ghost. And so she's coming because I believe the Bible supports the position that the Holy Ghost is drawing her and in the process she's converted. She, she thinks she's coming, This and God wants us to see this right off the bat. She thinks she's coming to test Solomon with hard questions. I thought I was going to Calvary Chapel, Spokane to be able to meet or be able to see my fiance. But see, the Lord God has a different plan. And I guess if we went around the room, I bet you that a lot of us had different things. I know Mike went. Mike wasn't going to church to... Uh, uh, um, get saved. Mike was going to church because of a pretty redhead. <laughs> True or false? True. Yeah. That, that's the only one I know. So, But I'd imagine there's more than one of us here. Now, of course, that might be new information to share, and I hope not. Uh, I've read some 
respected Bible teachers who say, nope, she wasn't converted. I've also read some old, like dead, dead old, that say she was. So we're going to all kind of put on our investigative hats here with Christina. And we're going to use the scriptures and not our opinions to find out. Verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Now, if you just read this point blank, it's okay, nice story. But when you think that God is drawing her, man, I think we get great insight as to what's going on here. Think about your own salvation for just a minute. The Lord was working in your heart. He was calling you. For me, I didn't even know it. For many of us, we probably didn't even know it. I don't, maybe you did. And he was answering my questions through his word and speaking to me before I surrendered and turned to him just like he did for many of us. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. We don't know what those questions were. Like, how come there's sin in the world? God created everything perfect. You know, I mean, well, there, that's because God needed to give choice. And all of a sudden people go, oh yeah, choice. Yeah, that makes sense. But otherwise, until a person understands why there's a tree that it's going to cause people to sin and die, until people understand why that tree's there, people would go, why did God put that tree in there? That, that doesn't make sense. Oh, no, to offer us choice. Otherwise, we'd never have choice. We'd be a bunch of robots that would be forced to love God. And, and it, we don't know what she's asking. But he answered all of her questions. There was nothing that he could not explain to her. And we know, first of all, it was not Solomon's wisdom, but the Lord's wisdom. He had departed to him. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, gal in a clothing thing, her cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord to worship, I add, there was no more spirit in here. She came, maybe she was curious when she left, she saw and heard, and she was converted. But how do we know that? For starters, there was her choice to come. Just like it was your choice to come. Even though I believe she was being drawn, she still had to respond to that voice. Hey, you need to get all these guys put out of your life and the only place you, they can see you is at Calvary Chapel Spokane. When she told me that, I said, I ain't doing that, that's stupid. But that was the only way I was going to see her. And so God was using a situation that was going to last literally one week but it was going to get me into the doors of Calvary Chapel, Spokane, and I was going to see something I'd never seen before in the church. Then after that, it was my choice to pick up the Bible each day after work for three weeks. I just wanted to know what was there. I mean, I'd come home, and you know what I did, and I'm not going to say those things anymore. Maybe someday I'll be a chaplain. <laughs> and, I, and I read my Bible. So you could say about her and about me that we were sincere seekers, even though we read in Romans 3 that no man seeks after God. But God was pursuing us, just like he was pursuing you. You thought, see, if we think we were seeking God and then we found him, we're, we're, first of all, that's not biblical, because no man seeks after God. God was already actively pursuing you. You just responded to that. See, it makes the picture much greater. It makes his picture of love for me much greater, that he came after me one of his lost kids. Like, he left the 99 and went after the lost one. That was me. That was you. It's obvious the Holy Ghost was at work, and none of us even realized that until it came down to decision time. 
then we had to make a choice. But again, this is just my opinion that she was converted because I don't have any Bible backup yet. Because can we know for certain? Oh yeah, I believe so. Don't we know that God has always been attentive to the sincere man or woman responding to God's pull, even though they think that they're the ones seeking? Yeah, we see that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. It says in Acts 10, he was a man who feared God. An angel appeared to him and said, your prayers and your alms have come up to God. But he was seeking the Jewish God. He wasn't seeking Jesus. There was something stirring in his heart that was causing him to pursue what he knew was God. And I believe he knew there was more, but just didn't know where to go. So while he was praying, somewhere along that line, the angel comes and says, hey, send for Peter. He will tell you all that you want to know. But Cornelius had to believe the angel in order to send for Peter. And he did. You know the story. He did. Peter comes, brings some brothers with him, and boom, the Holy Ghost falls upon him. They're speaking in tongues before the altar call. Plus, you and I all know that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. We know that. Hebrews 1.14. And so here's an angel that's sent to Cornelius. Says, hey, call for Peter. You know, we got an angel with us today. Gabriel. <laughs> So, so, so he, but he had to make a, he had to make a move. He had to, he had to take, take a step of faith. He had to respond to the voice of the angel. The people that have a hard time responding to that is the excuse maker, the victim, the wounded inner child set person. They're too busy making excuses. That's hindering them from being drawn by the Holy Ghost. Not that they don't. But they have to stop making excuses in order to hear the Holy Ghost calling them. Because you have to respond to that voice. Look at what she said after she heard from the wisdom that God had placed in Solomon, verse 6. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about you, your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. Now please look back at verse 1. She's not talking about Solomon's wisdom. She's talking about the wisdom that God had placed there. Okay, she's got to keep all that. And, you know, don't lose sight of that. However, I did not believe the words that I, until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Not happy are servants that serve you. No, happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. I said this before when I was newly saved, I'd go down to Calvary Chapel, Spokane, and, and I just wanted, I'd work there because I, I was a carpenter, and we're not working because of winter, and I'd be down there working. I used to, man, I was like, Lord, can't you just bring one of the pastors down to talk to me? I mean, that's all I wanted. And look, and that's what she's saying here. You know, blessed are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. They just, they get to hear. You know, case is brought to Solomon. He's going to give them the, you know, he's going to deal with it. They get to hear. That's what she's talking about here. Blessed be the Lord God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Watch this. Don't miss this. I would underline this. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever. You see that? How'd she know that? 
How does she know that, here she is 1,500 miles away, if, if she's from Yemen, how does she know that the Lord has loved Israel forever? Boy, she knows more today than some modern-day theologians who say that God is done with Israel. <laughs> Man, she, she's, got them all, you know, she's got them all wasted here. Somehow she knew that his love towards them was happening. Because the, love, because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Now, if that doesn't convince you she had some understanding about the God of Israel, well, then you got to be a little blind here because she it's very clear she says, oh, no, he's always loved Israel. So she obviously maybe even has some questions about, you know, they, they really jacked around in the whole Egypt thing and on the journey out of Egypt. And, you know, we don't know what those questions are. But, but the thing is, is until, you know, the atheists showed up the last 50, 60 years or Darwin or whatever, but and the church has kind of rolled over. All of these things have always been true in every culture. It's not like, you know, God's done all this in a corner and nobody knew about it. No, everybody knew about it. Everyone has accounts of creation in their own religious system. You know, there isn't no Darwin or evolution. Verse 10, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. That's a lot, by the way. Spices in great quantity and precious stones. That way he could rub all of his meat before he smoked it. There never again came such abundance of spices as the quantity, or there never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So what does this tell us about Sheba, where she lived? Obviously, it was a very wealthy place. I mean, she must be coming from a place where there's some, obviously, mining is going on. Obviously, there's a lot of wisdom here and the spices and the things that she brought. And obviously, her caravan with all her stuff. Think about all this stuff here. 120 talents of gold. And how's she coming through the desert 1,500 miles and you have pirates and thieves, land pirates and thieves? Well, she's got soldiers. Like how many? I would say a lot to guard all of her stuff. Also the ships of Hiram. So we're going to deviate from that for a moment. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has the light been seen to this day. Now queen... King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned, I believe in more ways than one, and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now, was she curious when she left home? I think so. Was she drawn by the Holy Ghost? I think so. Was she converted when the, she took that step of faith? I believe so. And for proof, I'm going to use the words of Jesus. So, if you disagree with me, you just talk to him when you get there, okay? Matthew chapter 12. Please turn there. You should write it in as a little footnote right here. Because I'm going to rest my case specifically and solely on the words of my Jesus. He always seems to be a good uh, commentary of the Old Testament scriptures. Because, he, he did, you know, many times these, these theologians today say something really dumb. And, you know, it's like, well, but then Jesus is always the one that seems to set him all straight. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus speaking. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Please don't miss the why here. 
men of Nineveh. Remember them? Jonah was a prophet. Remember that veggie tail thing? Even though, even though he did get it, the veggie tail thing is wrong. He did get it. Otherwise, he never could have wrote the book. The men of men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So they turned to the one true God of Israel. Yes, it was only for a short season because I don't I didn't look up the exact number, but then years later, God judged them smoked them. But they repented. And Jesus is saying, they're going to judge you guys that haven't repented, as he's speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, in order to condemn something, as I read this, they had to have been converted. Otherwise, you have an ungodly judge and an ungodly. That's, that's like ridiculous. So they turned in their hearts in response to Jonah's message, which was in 40 days, God's going to destroy you and the king and all the people and the animals, they all put on sackcloth. And ashes, and they repented of their way. And God spared them. He didn't, he didn't smoke them. And of course, that's why Jonah got in the boat in the first place. God, Jonah knew that if Jonah went and preached, they might repent and God might relent from bringing disaster against them. And so that's why Jonah jumped in the boat, headed to Tarshish, because I don't, you know, the Ninevites were very mean to Israel. He, Jonah wanted them all destroyed. You know, the Assyrians up there. So, so they obviously repented. Watch this. The queen of the south, that's the one in our passage right here in 1 Kings chapter 10, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Oh, we got to ask a question. Why? Please don't miss this. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So how, she, how can she judge it if she wasn't converted? She had to have been converted. The Bible says that believers are coming back with Jesus to judge the nations. I challenge anyone to show me in the Bible where it says a non-believer is going to judge non-believers in the Bible. I, I have never seen that. The queen sought the wisdom of God and Solomon got saved and she will rise up against the ungodly and judge them. And I think it's extreme proof that she, not only did she have a heart change, but it totally destroys the theory of reincarnation. Like who would ever believe that in the first place? But anyway. Jesus is saying, hey, look, she's coming back and she's going to be the judge. So she came to hear the wisdom from Solomon and got saved. But Jesus says here in Matthew 12, 42, indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And I, and I know we all know that. Certainly Solomon had the wisdom from God, but Jesus was the wisdom of God. Solomon was a great king, but Jesus is the king of kings. Solomon had great wealth, but Jesus has unsearchable a knowing wealth that you and I should be tapping into every single day. Solomon spoke practically in the Proverbs, but Jesus spoke on as one with great authority in the Sermon of the Mount. The Queen of Sheba will rise up in the last days because Jesus rose up from the dead on the third day and, 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 and looks and waits today, looking for those who will come to him as sincere seekers as they're drawn by the Holy Ghost. And that's how God still works today. Especially when we hear that no one comes to the Father unless they're called. And maybe, and, 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 and so, so think, follow with me. So maybe God's calling people all the time. We pray for that all the time. We pray, Lord, convict them of their sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, he will convict man of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. Of judgment because the rule of the will is judged. So just think of God is calling people all the time. 
continually. God is calling people. God is calling people. 24-7, we pray, God, please call people in our community here. Call them. Lord, convict them of the sin because they don't believe. Just think if God was calling people. And now people are being convicted, but they don't know what to do with it. They need someone to speak to them. Just like there, there was something happening in Sheba's life, but she needed someone to speak to her. And I would suggest to you in all of our lives that salvation, God was calling us, but someone got involved and was speaking to us. Someone was speaking truth to us, sorting it out, saying, hey, this is what Jesus wants to do in your life. Or this is what he's done in your life. Hey, I, I, I just can't do these things anymore. I came last night, I raised my hand, now I can't do these things anymore. Hey, and then and so then you explain to him, hey, that's because Jesus came into your heart and he, and he, and he's you're born again. And, but but God may continue. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at John 15, but I think it's true that Jesus or that the Holy Spirit is calling all the time. Man's not responding. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes in the world, that's what he's going to do. He's going to call. So it's obvious that man's not listening or they're busy doing other things. I think that's why when you see joggers, what do they do when they're jogging? They got something with them. Yeah, because all of a sudden they don't have to think about anything. So they have to fill that noise up so they don't hear the voice of God. I mean, think about the times where you really hear the voice of God. Um, shower, uh, at least for me. Because I'm not busy doing stuff. Sitting when I sit down to do Bible study, because now I'm focused. I'm no longer doing, all, you know, 10 different things. But in the car, oh, no, just turn on the radio. I mean, I mean, we, we, our world is filled full of noises. And is it the enemy's plan to drown out the voice of God calling? I don't know. I suggest to you that he's always calling. Because he does not delight in the death of the wicked. And Jesus has told us that's what he's going to do. And until we turn and respond to that calling and start a spiritual journey of seeking, we're going to be lost. For some, that, that calling might be seconds. For others, it might be days, like 75 days on the back of a camel. You know, God working on you, calling you. God getting all the ducks in a row to where you're going to go, oh, yeah, I see it. And this next section before us becomes very apparent that Solomon was very rich. Verse 14, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. So 666 talents of gold is said to be $1 billion in that day and age. So how much is a billion? It's a lot. Let's start with a million. If you gave my wife $1,000 a day and told her she could not come back until she, she spent all million, it would take her three years to spend it all at $1,000 a day. I'm sure you gals would have fun doing that. If you were to stack, a, or if you were to, if it were a billion dollars, if it was, if it was a billion dollars, it'd take my wife 3,000 years spending $1,000 a day. See, see a million dollars, which used to be a big thing when we were all younger. Wow, a million. Wow, wow, wow. But, hey, in three years, 1000 bucks, you could spend it all. Yeah. Okay, but a billionaire. And what about a trillion? Yeah, we ain't even go there. Because that's how much in debt we are. If we were to stack up $1,000 bills, which used to be printed, still, still, they're still available. Well, they're still valuable, but you, can, you know, I'm sure only collectors have them. A million dollars worth would be eight inches high. 
The height of a billion dollars in thousand dollar increments would be 115 feet higher than the Washington Monument, which is 565 feet. So it'd be 665 feet, a thousand dollar bills. A trillion is miles. I didn't verify it. I looked at three or four different answers, like, like many miles. Like, I don't want to say how many because I'm totally, I'd be totally guessing. Okay, so at first glance, you know, he, he gets this billion dollars of gold. How much? How long? How long does it take him to get? Look what it says, verse 14. Yearly. No wonder his servants were all dressed nice. <laughs> I mean, Solomon was loaded. Now, at first glance, we see in verse 14 the number 666. Ooh, ah. Maybe we're on to something. No, we're not. Because it's a comma, not a period. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides, that's our key word, besides that from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. The word besides is the Hebrew word bad. Now we all know one Hebrew word, bad. Remember when the Israelites went out to spy out all the land and they were told to bring back some of the produce? And they, and they had two, two men carrying a pole and they had grapes on it? That pole is called a bad. It connects things, specifically in case of the grape carriers of one man to the other. So not only did Solomon rake in 666 talents of gold each year, but also received gold. So adding in the number 666, it's going to change. I'm sorry. He received gold from the traveling merchants. We don't know, but I can guarantee at least one. So then it was the number was 667. So I'm, and yet I'm sure there's guys out there that have made a big deal out of it, but they're wrong. Received gold from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. So he took in more than 666 talents of gold, changes the number. That's a lot of money each year. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. Okay, so I, I think, obviously, there's things shifting now. Why would he do this? He built the house, built the temple. I suggest to you he's a little bored. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. Also, it doesn't say this, but there's no doubt he's accumulating wise at this time. Next chapter, he's got 1,000 of them. 700 wise, 300 concubines. I can guarantee he didn't do that one day. So, so, so he's already been accumulating wise, even though it doesn't say that. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forests of Lebanon, all of which one day will be carried away by the enemies of Israel. When, if you read ahead, you'll find that. But do you see a problem starting to develop here? Gold shields stashed away in one of his buildings? I, I, I suggest to you he's hooked into the world system and he's just trying, trying to create bigger and better things because the old ways just aren't fulfilling his heart anymore. It's obviously why he went after wife number two and ended up with wife number thousand. Yeah, she's not satisfying me anymore, so now i got to go after another one. I'd imagine at this point in his life, you know, the accumulation of his concubines and wives is pretty rapid. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Oh, whatever happened to wisdom so he could govern the people? The throne had six steps, and on the top of the throne was round at the back. There are armrests on either side of the 
place of the seat. Two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. I mean, could you imagine you're coming to present your case and he's sitting on this thing and there's all these lions staring at you? That'd have been a little intimidating. Look what it says. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. Man, that baby was a beauty. But can you see the problem here? And I keep drawing your attention to these things of the world because in the next chapter, the man that loved God, the man that all he wanted in life was wisdom from God so he could govern God's people, he turns to idolatry in a major way. So there's no doubt it's already going on now. Because idolatry doesn't just happen overnight. It's just slowly pulling away. Idolatry or adultery. Just just slowing, slowly pulling away. And we need to know that it could happen to any of us. If you don't think any of this stuff could happen to you, man, you're deceived. It could happen to any of us. So we have to be on guard against everything. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Hey, what do you do with it when you get a billion dollars worth each year? <laughs> you got to do something with it. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold because gold glasses just taste better. I don't know. Anybody ever drank out of a gold glass? So, so I have no idea why. Not one was silver. Look with this. For this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Now, that's cool. Hey, can I just come by and pick up a little nothing? I'll save it for a rainy day. Uh, so not only were all of his glasses made out of gold, but so was every instrument in the house. All of his silver made of gold, all of it. Imagine plates, cups, silver, or bowls all being made out of pure gold. For the king had merchant ships at sea with, with the fleet of Hiram, king of Tyre. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold. Okay, yeah, we got that. Silver, yeah, we got that. Ivory. Well, yeah, because he needs something new. But look what look at this. Apes and monkeys? I thought I read somewhere he, he brought peacocks, but maybe I, I missed it. But I, I went looking for him. I couldn't find it. But, but it does? So, so, but really apes and monkeys? I mean, a steady supply of gold? Yeah, okay, you got to pay everybody. It's a bit eccentric, don't you think? So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now, notice the order now. Before it was wisdom is what Solomon wanted, so God gave him riches also. But now, riches are listed first, and wisdom is second. The wisdom became secondary to the riches, it seems. Nothing is ever out of place in God's economy. This is written because this is how God wants it. First was, with, oh, oh, I'm such a little boy, I don't even know how to govern. Please just give me wisdom. Now it's riches. It's there for a reason. Remember Demas that traveled with Paul? Book of Acts. First, first Paul called him the beloved Demas. Then it was Deva, Demas, a fellow laborer. And then it ended up with, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. God, God wants us to know those things. And so all of a sudden now, it's no longer wisdom and, and, and riches. Now it's riches because that's what he's serving. And we're going to find it in the next chapter. You read ahead, you're going to see that. Now the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots. Problem? Yeah, big problem. He's drifting farther away. 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. If you go read um, uh, Psalm chapter 20 tomorrow, which if, as long as I make it into the sea Barry tomorrow, that's what I always read when I go to the hospital. 
David says, some, are some trust in horses and chariots, ah, but not us. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And see, his dad, Solomon's dad didn't do this. Solomon's dad trusted in the Lord his God. Solomon is now trusting in all these earthly items. And he stationed them in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Ever been to Jerusalem or seen pictures? There are rocks everywhere. Made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. That'd be kind of nice. Go pick up a few. Common. Yeah, what are, what are those? Oh, those are just common rocks. Okay. Thank you. Save them till today. <laughs> also, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and, and Kivab. The king's merchants brought them in Kivab at the current price. Now, a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver. Remember, how much is silver in these days? A couple of rocks. Hey, can you go out and pick up a couple, couple of rocks? We're going to buy another another chariot and a horse 150 and thus through their agents and this is all sinful there he, he is totally going against god's law right here and thus through their agents they exported them all to the kings of the hittites their future enemies and the kings of syria also their enemies so solomon is failing big time here the things that god said the king should not do are the things that he's doing horse trading in egypt and the multiplying of wives in the next chapter the multiplying of the gold and the silver, exactly what God has said not to, said, told him not to do. How do I know that? Because you're going to know too. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. Please, let's turn there. Deuteronomy 17. God's telling him, look, when you guys get into the land, you're going to ask for a king, and this is what's going to happen. He, he forewarned him. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. God gives a warning to the leaders of his people. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Start of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's about as far as I can get. <laughs> okay, Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Now, keep in mind, they haven't even crossed the Jordan yet. Okay? They, they're just... God's saying, look, this is how it's going to go down. And so he's forewarning them. Just like, just like his word, he gives us forewarnings in the word. So we go, oh, yeah, we got to remember. Oh, yeah, I got to stay away from that. Or I got to be doing this. You will surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. That's, that's why you, you can't be a foreigner and be a president in the United States. So much of the laws of our history come out of the scriptures. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. How's Solomon doing here? Passing or failing? Yeah. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Passing or failing? For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Wow. Now, you can keep reading it. I'm going to say part of it for next week for the multiplication of wives. But this passage in Deuteronomy was a prophecy or a prediction of what the kings would do. And God in his foreknowledge told them, hey, don't do these things. And surely this must be a temptation for kings, and that's why God gave him the commandments, knowing that this is a particular temptation for, for a king. You know, you get all this stuff, then you, you can start trusting your military might. Same with our country. If we trust in our military might instead of the name of our Lord our God, we're in trouble. 
sent our military. I love our military, but that's not what we can trust in. You know, you wanted horses in order that you might have this extra special military strength, so then you could trust in your military power instead of God. And certainly the gold and silver surely impressed the Queen of Sheba, but in the process of doing so, Solomon is disobedient to God's word and failed here. So how do we keep from walking away? That's, you know, I, I didn't build this whole thing just to go, well, okay, that's Solomon's failures. But what can we learn from Solomon's life so it doesn't need to happen in our life? I mean, that's why God has all these pictures in here. That's why God puts the story of Solomon in here so we can learn from it. I think the answer is simple for you and I as believers today. we got to stay tapped into the vine. You know, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, we abide, you dwell, you draw nourishment from, and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. So you have to look at your life. How's the fruit? It has to be being born. If you're tapped into the, fine, uh, into the vine, Jesus says, uh, uh, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. There has to be fruit if you're tied in. You may not be tied in. You may just be a Christian. But if you're tied in, there's going to be fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So how do we abide in? Well, first, it starts with just grabbing your Bible and spending time with Jesus. Allowing his word to get into you. If Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That's God's plan for us, team. And again, I believe that Solomon's heart of turning away from the Lord was a slick, drawn-out process. I don't, I don't believe he knew what was happening until it was too late. But the good thing about his life is at least, I believe, he gets the chance to write about his foolishness and the vanity of his ways with the world, and I believe he repented. I believe we're going to see him someday in heaven. I won't know till I get there. I know this, though. The name Solomon shows up seven times in the New Testament. The name David shows up 56 times in the New Testament. The name Saul, in reference to King Saul, only shows up once. That's not very favorable. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the king of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Now, I don't think Saul makes it here. But, you know, maybe God, maybe he does. But that's the only remembrance of Saul. I believe if Solomon not gone the ways of the world, his name would have appeared many more times than it did. So what happened to this guy? Well, let's look at two things. Intimacy and deception. See, Solomon has, had lost the intimacy with God. That's where he started. Oh, he was desperate. He was seeking the leading of God's spirit for his life when he was that young boy between 16 and 18. And David says, you're the king. He was desperate. He was into it. Remember those prayers? But then something happened as he grew older. It appears as he grew older, he grew farther away from the Lord as he grew up. And it happens to Christians all the time, if we're honest with ourselves. But if we grow farther away, you know, we may grow in knowledge or grow in something, but God's not into that. If, if that doesn't draw us into a more intimate relationship with Jesus, God's not into that. God wants us to grow in an intimate relationship with him. You know, the amazing thing is that as he sought out God's will for his life, God multiplies the things in Solomon's life. But as soon as he quit doing that, as soon as he quit seeking the Lord, it seems, he then decided to go after the vain things of the world, seeking to satisfy his life. And yet, 
he had a great promise, just like you and I have a great promise that's available to us. And I want us to turn there. Last distraction of the day, detour of the day. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. First book of the New Testament. Incredible promise to us. That's why an intimate walk with God is so critical. That's why I'm glad you guys are here. I mean, Sunday only, it's hard to have an intimate walk with God because everybody needs fellowship. Fellowship, prayer, Bible study, worship, all of it's critical. Sharing our faith with others, sharing what's going on in our own lives, being real with one another. Matthew twenty or Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. What's the answer? Yes. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We don't care how the world would answer that. What's the correct answer today? Yes. It's yes. Of course, you go out in the world, they're going to say no. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature or one inch to his height? Anybody? No. Okay. So why do you worry about clothing? Um, I don't. You guys go, yeah, we know. <laughs> Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the key. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about the surgery tomorrow. Don't worry about nothing for tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. And that's what Solomon was doing in the beginning. And why are we surprised that God blesses those who live that way? We shouldn't be. God still wants to do that today. Solomon sought first the kingdom of God, and God granted all that other stuff to him. That's what God. That's what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God. God says, I'll grant all this other junk to you. But it seems like today it's like, well, I don't have time to do that. I got, I got, I'm busy doing all this other stuff. But Jesus says, no, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll, he'll, he'll God will take care of this stuff. So we get it turned around, and now we're no longer intimate with God. We're, we're busy doing stuff because we got to do our stuff rather than being intimate with God and watching God provide this stuff. And for Solomon, something happened. He started out well, but it seems he set aside the seeking of God and started to compromise so much so that when Solomon got to the end of his life, he said, vanity, vanity, all that's in the world is vanity and a grasping of the wind. And no doubt the guy had everything. And God wants us to know that. God wants to prosper his children, but not for personal consumption, but for corporate distribution, to bless others, to invest in others. Personal consumption for self causes one to lose the edge, to lose the focus. You become self-centered. And that's what we all have to guard against because in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And Solomon is an object lesson of that. I believe that somewhere along the way, God is no longer satisfying his soul. You know, and Solomon is ignorant as to how the waves of the world sought him out and 
and, and was pulling him away from God. But it happened because of his intimacy with God was lacking. And yet the Bible tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us in the New Testament. It's in the book of Hebrews. The other way that caused Solomon to lose his way is deception. So let's learn from his mistake as well. I lied to you. There is one more spot. James chapter 1. All the way to the end. Hebrews, James. For Second Peter. The John, Jude, and Revelation. So intimacy, he, he was moving away from it. Deception was grabbing his heart. And, and this can happen in our own lives today. We, we, you know, our, own, our own flesh can deceive us well enough that it doesn't need any really help from the enemy. So it's a real simple reminder how the, how the spiritual principle works today in our lives. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation. We're all, we're all going to face it. For when he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's where Solomon started out on day one. That's where we all started out on day one. That's where we want to finish. And we may fail along the journey, but that's where we want to finish. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So don't blame God. And according to this, don't blame the devil. Watch this. Watch how this reads. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by the devil. Is that what it says? No. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. Okay? Now, the devil may provide that sweet little thing or that big hunking, hulky, muscle-bound dude right there that's handsome because guys aren't cute. They're handsome. Inside story. Um, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You know, it's, you're going fishing, you're seeking to draw the fish out. Then when desire is conceived, fish starts swimming towards it. Fish bites the hook. The hook is set. It's, it, it, that desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And it's, but it's just this slow eroding process. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So intimacy and deception. Critical for Solomon to embrace one and be on the alert for the other. He for, it seems he forsook one and embraced the other. He had it backwards. It's critical. Got to embrace the intimacy with God and be on alert of deception. Intimate walks with Jesus. Team, it's so critical. That, that, look, as we watch Solomon start to take a nosedive, we have to recognize intimate walks for our own lives. It's critical. As the Lord promises, as often as we draw near to him, he's going to draw near us. And then when we're near to him, we can see deception a lot easier. Because if we're reasoning out here, it's, I think it's hard to see deception. But the closer we get to Jesus, the easier it is to see Deception, because it's slick. How slick? Well, it's this slick. The perfect woman ate of the fruit because she was deceived. Okay, so if she was deceived, so can we be. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we want to just be found in this place where we're looking after you 